0: Well, this afternoon, uh, we're going to be uh, returning to our uh, series in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Here, continuing in the section that began in chapter 10, verse 19, going through the end of chapter 11, looking at holding on to the greater than, holding on to the greater than. Uh, Let's listen to the entirety of chapter 11 once again, just for the sake of hearing the context uh, before we jump into the message. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that by what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back by faith. Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau by faith. Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Bowing in worship over the head of his staff. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is visible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the powers of fire, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, Stoned. they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for this which we have read, your holy word. Which is your voice to us. And we ask, O oh Father, that we would give it that you would help us that we might give attention to this word. We ask you would take your word planted deep within us, and that you would increase and strengthen our faith by your word, by the work of the Spirit. Mold us more to the image of your Son. May you reveal to us afresh in our hearts in whatever degree we need, the truth of Jesus Christ. And may you, O Lord, rest upon this preacher. Would you chain him to the truth that is your scripture, that he might freely declare that truth and do so with clarity, with accuracy, with understanding. We pray these things, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've walked through the book of Hebrews, one thing we've been seeing is that there is this one who is the greater than our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this particular section, what we are seeing is the imperative, the necessity to hold on to the greater than. That is the essence of the Christian life is holding on to Jesus by faith, continue hoping in him, resting in him and receiving in him. In our walk through the book of Hebrews, we saw that he is the greatest and final revelation of God. We've seen that he is greater than angels, even though he was, according to his humanity, made lower than the angels for a time. We see that he is greater than Moses. We see that he is greater than the priesthood. We saw that he is the greater sacrifice. And now we are seeing that this one who is the greater than is the one upon whom we must hold without uh, as if everything depended upon it, for everything does depend upon this one who is the greater than, our Lord Jesus Christ, who appeared to make atonement for our sin and is returning a second time, not with regards to sin, but to bring us our final and complete salvation. What we've seen in this section beginning in chapter 10 and verse 19 is we see that uh, there was reminding the readers and us that a need of having endurance. And that need of endurance is essentially this. You need faith. You need to continue believing upon Christ. For it is from resting in Christ and receiving from Him that endurance flows, that all flows. That is the source. And so for endurance... It is a need of faith. Remember, what is the nature of faith that we saw in chapter 11, verse 1? It is by faith we have that which we hope for and we we have the assurance or the conviction or we have the essence of. All these are different ways of translating that word Uh, or the substance of things for which we hope. Things for which you hope are things that we by nature don't see, but we have confident assurance and expectation of them by faith, because through faith in Christ, we see that which is ours. They're present to the eyes of faith in Christ Jesus. And again, it's not just simply faith in the sense of You just got to have faith, a faith, a faith. Rather, it's a matter of faith that is in the right object, that right object being Christ Jesus. And by faith, we have the conviction or the clarity or the evidence of things that we do not see. Again, why? Because they are present and made sure to us through looking to Christ. And by faith, we see them. And we saw then examples of this in chapter 11. We saw beginning saw the examples. The uh, first of all began with Abel. We looked at that and uh, this passage actually actually changed my this sermon. sermon on that actually changed my position on why Abel's sacrifice was accepted. It wasn't accepted because it was an animal sacrifice. It wasn't accepted even because it was first fruits. It was accepted because Abel was accepted. And why was Abel accepted? Because he had faith. Because he had faith. Because he believed the God of promise. And then we saw that Enoch, by faith, that is, by trusting the God of promise and trusting in his promise, was taken up. That's all we know of Enoch. We don't know much about Enoch other than that. A few short blurbs. But how did that happen? But by faith. We also uh, then as we walk through that, we then began to we saw about Noah by faith. Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. That is, by faith he saw that which was to come, and he looked to God. And in and in building that ark, he was while he was building that ark, he was looking to that which the ark was pointing to, which is Christ Jesus is our ark. The greater then is the ark. We looked at that in light of first Peter. And then <clears throat> Through the act of what he did, he, he declared the condemnation of the world. And again, we see this. He became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He received the righteousness that it was not his own, but someone else's. And how did he how did it come to him? But by faith. That righteousness, that being counted right with God has always come by faith. And then we saw Abraham and Sarah. And again, all that they did was by faith. By faith he went to the land of promise, not knowing where he was going. By faith lived in a foreign land in tents, as did Isaac and as did Jacob, heirs of that same promise. Looking to the city that has foundations, that he was he wasn't looking pri- uh, he wasn't looking ultimately for a piece of land, a piece of soil. He was looking for something greater. A city whose foundations were built by God, as we're going to see today, a heavenly city. And Sarah, when she, was beyond, when she was beyond the ability to conceive by faith, conceived, why? Because she trusted him who was faithful, who had made the promise. And so thus from one man has been born many. And when we look at that in light of Galatians, that many is basically all those who are by faith. Anchored to Jesus Christ, whether by faith before he came or by faith after he has come. And now in our text today, we're looking at verses 13 through 16. Again, referring back here to these, these who had come before. That he's just spoken of, he says, these all a city. So here we see this, that they all died in faith. What that implies is that these all lived in faith and they died in a state of faith. But take note the significance of this. They held on to the promises of God and rested in the promise giver who keeps his promise. Abraham looking for a city with foundations. Noah for the deliverance foreshadowed by the ark. For Abel who looked to God by faith. For the one who would crush the serpent's head. John Owen says of this. To do this, firm belief in the existence of life after death is needed. For without this, all faith and hope must perish in death. This faith also requires that they entrusted their departing souls... Into God's care and power. What's even more striking about this, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Abraham died, even though he made it to Canaan land, as the song says, even though he made it to Canaan, even though Isaac was born. Noah, even though he was on the ark and delivered from that flood. Enoch, even though his sacrifice was accepted, I mean, Abel, even though his sacrifice was accepted. Enoch, even though he was taken up and did not see death, did not see that thing which was promised in their lives. They did not see it. What they were looking to had not in their lives, in their day, before these eyes come to pass. Think of this. By faith, though, they saw them. They had not seen for that which they were waiting, but it was by faith that they saw them. No, they had not received it. But they still believed. Even though they did not see what they were waiting come to fruition, they still believed. And this is true even well later into redemptive history. That's the history of God doing his redemption uh, later on in the history of the Hebrew scriptures. We go to the book of Haggai chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. Give you a moment to turn there if you wish to. I have it right here in my notes, so give you a moment. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Something for which Israel was waiting was still to come to pass. Something related to promise. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And you don't get any later in Old Testament history than Malachi. Malachi is chronologically the last book of the Old Testament, not only in in the order of the the order in which it is in the Old Testament, it's also the last book, chronologically, in terms of time it was written. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. so even here, centuries after Abraham and Sarah. And Noah and Enoch and Abel, they're still waiting for that which God had said was going to happen. John Calvin says of this. Though God gave to the fathers only a taste of that grace, which is largely poured on us. Though he showed to them at a distance, only an obscured representation of Christ, who is now set forth to us clearly before our eyes, yet they were satisfied and never fell away from their faith. How much greater reason than that that should we have at this day to persevere? The promises for which they were waiting, when we read the whole of scripture, are bound up in Christ Jesus who is the greater than and those promises were not present before their eyes except as a shadow except as illustrations except as types Some people, we struggle with the idea of types and shadows. Another another way of saying it would be illustrations and metaphors. That's what types and shadows are. Except as shadows, meaning the ark was a type and a shadow, meaning the land to which Abraham was going is not an an end in and of itself, but is a type and a shadow of something greater, meaning that this able sacrifice being accepted was not an end in and of itself, but rather a type and a shadow of a a greater sacrifice that would be accepted on behalf of those who believe upon God. Enoch's being taken up into heaven and not seeing death is a type and a shadow of a greater defeating of death. Even though they did not see them, it says they welcomed them or they greeted them from a distance or from afar. They saw what they were looking for. They did see, but they saw it dimly as though through a fog. We all know here living on Whidbey Island about the marine layer driving along and uh, be clear, and then out of the blue and in the blue sometimes, all of a sudden you go through this thick fog. It's related to the cold water and the warm air and all those kinds of things. And you can't see very well. You see things dimly. You're not in, in really thick fog. You really can't see what it is. Or if you're on a road trip, My very first time ever seeing mountains or what I should say, what passes as mountains, you know, I'm from Texas, was in 1987. My family and I, my mom driving, we headed out to El Paso and we saw we knew there were some there were some mountains out there and we looked from a distance. We said, I think those are mountains. We said, yeah, those are mountains and they looked like they were grand, but we just saw them dimly. And as we got closer and closer, we thought, oh, and we got up to them. we thought, oh, these are kind of just hills with rocks on top of them. As we saw clear as we got closer, it was dimly. But what they were looking for is far greater than the thing that was very much in front of them. They did not have the promises revealed to them in the same way as to those of us who are in Christ and under his rule of redemption. But they were happy to greet them from a distance. They were happy to place hope in God who keeps promise as Sarah did. To regard him who made a promise as faithful to keep to keep his promise. That the one who is what he is, is always What he is, meaning that he who said, I will do this is still the one who says he will do this and is still the one who has the ability to do the thing he says he will do and is still the one who has the faithfulness to do what he says he will do. Because God is everything that he is all the time. He's not made up of little parts but he is everything that he is all the time. So he is always faithful to keep promise. We must ask, what was it that kept them believing and holding on when according to conventional wisdom, they should just give up? I mean, as it said, Abraham... When he went to the land, he dwelt in tents and was largely a nomad. And it wasn't an easy ride. According to conventional wisdom, they should just give up. Go back. You already had a homeland. He's going to make that point in just a moment. As we just mentioned, the faithfulness of the one who made the promises. That is, God said it. Because God said it, it have every reason to believe this. Remember from Hebrews chapter six. That passage of scripture that when we approached it, I admitted to you, I was extraordinarily afraid to preach. But then discovered it was it became one of the it, Hebrews six has become one of the most comforting and assuring things to me of God's grace and faithfulness and his salvation. But remember this. We have this better word per Hebrews chapter 6 that God cannot lie and that he made an oath. These two things, he cannot lie and that he made an oath. And the oath that he made, he made upon himself because there's no one greater upon he, whom he can make an oath. And we say, you know, people will say when we're kids, we'll make outlandish statements. Sometimes we'll make the outlandish statements to try to make a lie seem real when we were kids. I swear on my favorite toy that I didn't do it. But God swore upon himself. And there's no one greater upon whom he could swear. And he cannot lie. Because it is contrary to his nature. And so thus, because God said it, they said yes and amen. And as we mentioned Abraham and Sarah, when we look at their faith, while their faith is commended, it was not the quality of their faith that commended them to God. It was not because their faith was of a certain quality. Because if we looked, if we read that story, we'll see that they never, ever questioned God's promise, right? Or ever doubted his faithfulness. No, that's not what we see at all. On two occasions, Abraham said to Sarah, we're going to a dangerous, dangerous place. Uh, Just pretend we're not married and tell them that you're my sister. On two occasions. And then, of course, they tried to take the uh, having the son who would be the beginning of the promise into their own hands. But yet. It was not because their faith was super duper quality and perfect, but because they rested upon the God who made a promise and thus Receive from him. That's the nature of faith. We say, we say it in our own confession of faith. That the principal nature of faith is this. Receiving and re, uh, resting and receiving from Christ. And then we see. That they acknowledge acknowledging that they were strangers and exiles on earth. So hear this. They died in faith, not even though they had not received the things promised, even though they only saw them from a distance and greeted them from afar, and even though they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Those even those are my interpretation of the relationship of the words to one another. So there's other ways that it could be said and they're perfectly okay or you could say because or you could say for or you could say um, You even say and even even though it seems to make the most sense of the context just so you know I want to make make clear that you know there's other ways but back to the point <clears throat> even though that they, they continued to believe even though they acknowledged they were aliens and strangers in the in this earth including in the land of the temporal promise made to Abraham and Sarah. That is, by faith, they recognized that the hope for which they believed was not of this age and that their true citizenship laid elsewhere. That is, even while Abraham and Sarah were in the land that God had made a promise for them to dwell Abraham and Sarah said, we're still aliens and strangers here. We're still aliens and strangers here because they were saying, even though we have this piece of soil. He says, this is not the home for which we are longing. It is in human nature to desire some sort of a homeland. He says here, the true homeland for which the one who trusts in God looks for is not an earthly piece of land. It was not that Abraham was a stranger in Canaan because he was from Ur and, and met in what we, what we call Mesopotamia and thus was in a different land, such as my trips, I've been overseas, my very first trip um, off the off the uh, continent, I should say. I grew up on the border, so I went to Mexico quite often. But my first trip to uh, off the continent, I went to India. And I knew I was a stranger in a foreign land. I knew that I was different. And I knew they looked at me and knew that I was different. <laughs> I knew I was a stranger in that land. That's not what we're speaking of here. He says, it's not with regards to the place from which they came. It's not with regards to finding another homeland like their other homeland. From which they came said, if that's what they were looking for, saying we're strangers in this land and we can't seem to find a home, they would have had plenty of opportunity to just simply go back is what he says. Again, John Calvin says, though they called themselves strangers, they, di- they yet did not think of Mesopotamia. For if they had a desire to return, they might have done so. But they had willingly banished themselves from it. Nay, they had disowned it as though it did not belong to them. By another country, then, they meant that which is beyond this world. As we see in a moment, he says that explicitly. The promise made to Abraham. We've studied this before. We talked about it earlier in the book of Hebrews. There was both a temporal and an, and an eternal uh, aspect of the promise made to Abraham. One temporal with regards to the land and a, and a people who would be of a bloodline that served the purpose of bringing in the Messiah, this one who's the greater than. And then more, one of a spiritual and eternal nature. The temporal, the temporal uh, land and the temporal covenant was conditional based upon obedience. But the eternal one and spiritual one is unconditional based strictly upon God fulfilling His promise and Abraham trusting in Christ. And we turn to the pages of the New Testament, Christ having come, There are a number of places where God's people in Christ Jesus are referred to as aliens, as strangers. My own mentor in Bible college and seminary, Roy Metz, he would refer to these passages and he would say, you might say that believers are spiritual ETs spiritual extraterrestrials. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. He says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ And for sprinkling with the blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How does he open up this passage in reference? And how does he refer to those to whom he is writing? He says, to those who are the the exiles or the strangers... Or the foreigners and then the elect is placed right next to it. But in the Greek word order, it's a little bit later, but it's referring to that to those who are the aliens or the strangers elect for the purpose that were made known here. But he refers to the believers here as aliens, as strangers, that the lands in which they live are not their homes. They're their dwellings, they're their abodes in this life, but they're not home. Again, Peter, in first Peter, chapter two, he says, beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God the day of visitation. He opens up, speaks of their status as being strangers and aliens, as a source of assurance of hope, as a source of that which... They're waiting for because they they they're aliens because God in Christ Jesus has brought them to new life. And now in first Peter, chapter two, he says, now, because you are these aliens, you're strangers. You have a different homeland and you have a different citizenship and you should look weird in this world. Mm -hmm. In chapter two, verses 11 and 12, you should look weird in this world. To keep your conduct honorable. It is, in First Peter, it is the rule that believers will be regarded as people who belong on the margins and not people who belong in the center of things. It is the exception for believers to be right in the center of things. Paul uses that same language. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That is, we are no longer strangers and aliens to the covenant household of God. We become strangers and aliens to this world, having become citizens of the household of God. No longer strangers and aliens to God but now strangers and aliens in this world. And then we see in our text it explicitly stated, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What they were desiring was not that which was simply temporal of nature. When Abraham went and he believed God, Hebrews makes it clear he was looking beyond Canaan. Abel was looking beyond simply finding a blessing from God, from his sacrifice being accepted. Noah was looking beyond simply an ark. But looking beyond to something greater. What is it that they were desiring? They were desiring, it says, a heavenly city. As was said earlier, a city with foundations built by God. That is, a city that reflects and a city that has God Himself being at the center, being the essence. Not the land from which they came, nor the land in which Abraham and Sarah were traveling. And so it is with us. How often we crave a homeland for ourselves in this age where everyone might be like us, but we don't have a lasting city in this world. See, the Christians have composed and Christians form what I like to call a new humanity, a new human race. Composed of people from every different tongue, tribe, language and people. And we all have the same common homeland. And it's not about soil and a bloodline. But it's about God's heavenly city. And how often we find ourselves grasping to temporal things, and grasping to things that we can see and holding on to them with dear life and then losing sight of the thing that God has truly and really promised. Oh, my brothers and sisters, we must remember that for which we long. We must remember that for which we truly hope. That is by resting in and upon Jesus Christ. As Hebrews chapter 13 says. Verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. We seek the city that is to come. And we are now presently just as Abraham and Isaac, just as Sarah, just as Noah, just as Enoch, just as Abel, citizens of that city for which we long. Except we have now seen that which they have been waiting for. We have seen Messiah. Messiah has come, the one whom God had promised who would make it all real. The ark, the one who is the true Israel, the one who is the true sacrifice, the one who is the resurrection has come. How much more so seeing that we don't look at this promise from afar? But we look at this promise now from very close. Should we, by faith, hold on to the greater than? And notice now what it says, because. The fact that they rest upon God, that they receive from him. Because they have, as Noah, inherited the righteousness that is by faith. It says God is pleased to be called their God. God is pleased to say, I am their God. Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. God says that explicitly. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. What does this depend upon? Does this depend upon us Having all of our t's dotted and our eyes crossed, and yes, I said that said it that way on purpose. No, it depends upon the faithfulness of God, and what we must do is receive that by faith and rest upon him and receive from him for our assurance and our hope, our confidence is not in, just as it was not for them, things that we can see and touch and sense. But it is rooted in the, in the one who came. It is rooted in the one who lived for us and who lived a life that was impossible for us to live because we refused to do so in the garden, in Adam. Because of the one who died the death and took upon himself that which was due to us, And because he rose from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the greater than because of that. We have the confidence of this city because of this, we can see that which is coming. And because of this, as we will see in coming weeks. We can and will endure. We can and will grow in the likeness of Christ. Those things flow from faith. We can and will see the outworking of God's sanctifying work in us. But my brothers and sisters, this depends solely upon Christ, who is the promise. He is the essence of the promise. He is the true lawgiver. He is the true Israel. He is the true sacrifice. He is the true New creation. He is the true seed. Of Eve. Who would crush the Satan. Who would crush the serpent's head. He is the true seed of Abraham. Through whom all the clans of the earth. Are blessed. Christ Jesus. And all in him. Receive that promise. But think of this my brothers and sisters. Like Abraham. Abraham like Isaac like Jacob like Noah like Enoch like Abel we are aliens and strangers in this world longing for our true homeland but to be an alien and stranger in this world in Christ Jesus to be at home in him is to be at home with the father is to be at home with the father how often Do we crave and desire an audience with kings and princes or people in power or people who have influence when we have a seat at the table of the king of kings? How often do we try to find a way to fit in? When we have the greatest home that there could be, how often do we chase after things? Just as the Hebrew folks, the folks in that were written, written to in the book of Hebrews were struggling because of the face of potential suffering because of rejection. How often do we do so when we have the greatest thing that there is? We have God as our God and we have a home with him just as it says here he has prepared a city for them so he is preparing and has prepared a city for us because of the promise of God's grace they look forward to the promise of God's grace God's grace has come God's what we in theology like to call the covenant of grace has come into human history and has been enacted in time and space in the person of Jesus Christ, is here. And we're in him. And he is the God of all of his people, small and great. He is the God of all of his people. As we read from in Proverbs chapter 17 this week, the one who sits at table with God has far greater than the one who may have all sorts of feasts in this age, but does not sit at the table with God. This is better as a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Where is that quiet found? It is found in Christ Jesus. The world is filled with strife. And He is the God of all all of His people. He is no more Abraham's God or Isaac's God or Jacob's God than He is our God. Because He is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God man. And in Him, He is our Father. And so we see the nature of this city. It's not one which we build with fragile things. Humankind, maybe some of us of ourselves, have built things that are grand, according to conventional wisdom, have done great things. But all of those in light of this are quite fragile. Are quite fragile. Even the institutions and the systems that we build are fragile. But the city of God is not It is the it is living with God and enjoying him forever because he is not ashamed to call those who rely upon Christ as his own. That my brothers and sisters is the city for which we long and brothers and sisters in closing, beloved in Christ Jesus. Like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, we have this city. And he built that city. And that it is ours. And so let us like Abraham. And Isaac. Jacob. Like Enoch. Like Abel. Like Noah. Look to God by faith. Even more so since. What they saw from afar. We see up close. And present. Jesus Christ. Having come. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the great struggle of the Christian life. It is remembering God's promise and believing it. That is the great struggle of the Christian life. That's the beginning of it. That's the middle of it. That's the end of it. So let us pray. Our Father, thank you that we have this confident and sure hope in Christ Jesus. We ask our Lord that you would help us to keep looking to Christ thus being able to endure. We ask our Lord that we would rest in him confident we shall receive from you by your spirit. May we long for that, may we continue to look for that city. We pray these things our Father in Jesus name. Amen.